Welcome back to the Mandarin Blueprint Podcast. So today I have a few announcements before we get started and then we will get into the Q&A. Now there are pretty important announcements. So the first one is about the Pronunciation Mastery course. And this is very important because it's gonna maybe require action from you, maybe not. But if you're already on the course, don't worry, the course is not gonna be any different than it always has been for you. Uh, But if you haven't gotten the Pronunciation Mastery course yet, do it now. Do it before June 1st. And the reason why is because we have been giving away the Pronunciation Mastery course for free for the past uh, several months, but we are soon going to be integrating it into the Mandarin Blueprint Method subscription service. So we're going to do that on June 1st. So that means that if you want to get grandfathered in and get the Pronunciation Mastery for free, you got to do it before June 1st, 2019. After that, the Pronunciation Mastery is only going to be available as a part of the Mandarin Blueprint Method. Now, as I say, if you already have it before June 1st, you'll be grandfathered in, you'll get the Pronunciation Mastery, and you'll always have it for free. But just wanted to let you know about that so that you can take action now if you want to. And just a comment on why we're doing this, because, you know, it's not ideal, I would say, to... uh, originally offer something for free and then add it to a part of a paid service. But the reason we did it was actually simply because there weren't enough people actually doing the pronunciation mastery. They were signing up for it, but the majority of people were not actually taking any action to move day to day. And, you know, my real goal and Luke's real goal with this is to get people to actually learn Chinese. And so if that means that there needs to be more skin in the game, as we talked about a few podcasts before, then it shouldn't be free. Because it's a very high quality course. And many people have said to us, uh, you know, you should be charging for this. But that's not really the way I see it. Whether or not we should charge for it is really just a matter of will people do it more if we charge for it. And the answer is almost definitely yes, because we have other evidence called the Mandarin Blueprint Method. Now, the Mandarin Blueprint Method is a uh, subscription service, so it is a paid service. And just, I mean, just think about it. If you get something for free, there's no incentive for you to use it. I mean, you could if you want, if the spirit moves you. But if you're paying even just 10 bucks a month for something, then not using it is a little bit lost skin. You, you don't have it. You have a little skin in the game, and you're gonna. Um, it's gonna hurt a little bit financially. I mean, 10 bucks isn't that much per month, but still. That's a little bit of skin in the game. It's enough to get you going. And then because the course is so high quality, we're very confident that once you do get going, you'll do well with it. So we're not interested in people just having the course and not using it. We want people to actually use it and learn Chinese properly. Now, luckily, because it's just going to be a part of the subscription service for the Mandarin Blueprint Method, and the Mandarin Blueprint Method is uh, already a relatively affordable service and we're not going to raise the price it's not going to be that expensive but still nonetheless though if you want to get it for free do it before june 1st so that's announcement one announcement two is that we now have a community forum on mandarin blueprint so the link is in the show notes and you can join that to ask any questions that anybody in the community will be happy to answer so this came from a comment on the previous podcast that Luke did called, from uh, Harry C. And um, that comment that he made was that, oh, I thought there was going to be a community in Mandarin Blueprint, but I didn't really discover it when I arrived. And, you know, he was also, he was loving the course. So he wasn't making a big criticism, but he was expecting kind of a forum-like community, you know. And I didn't really realize that that's what somebody would want. When I was thinking of community, I was thinking, oh, well, you know, anybody can comment on any of the videos. Uh, and they can send us an email and all of that. But of course, there is a significant difference between 
commenting on an individual video and a forum. So in a forum, it's much easier for many different people to respond. And we've had a lot of past students at this point. So the fact that we've had a lot of past students means that a lot of people can participate in helping you out. Uh, so if you have any questions about the course, whether it's the Mandarin Blueprint Method, Pronunciation Mastery, or just some general questions about Chinese study, you can post it in the forum. Again, the link is in the show notes. You can post it in the forum and you can expect an answer from either Luke or myself, or of course, somebody else in the course. Already, uh, Paul Forbes and Chad have posted to say that they're more than happy to help. So looks like this is the place where a community can really even rally around you even further. So good news there on the community front. And also just as a note about community guidelines, like, you know, we are, it is within our discretion to delete anything. And we won't, we won't delete things that are relevant, but we will delete things if they're even mildly inappropriate, because this is a forum that is for Mandarin learning. And it's very specific. And it's run by two guys, Luke and myself. So, you know, just please no foul language. I mean, I'm not going to say like literally zero. Um, if you want to, you know, occasionally use something in tactfully fine, but like, generally speaking, it's a family forum. So please uh, be respectful, be, um, you know, get to the point of the question that you have about Mandarin, and what you want to share. And we're more than happy to get involved that way. Uh, we're also going to have a case studies forum, which is specifically for sharing case studies of people in the course, but it's also a place where you personally can submit your own case study. So that would be great, you know, help us spread the word because everybody loves this course, but we're not necessarily the best online marketers. We're working on it. We're, you know, improving our proving every day, but that's not ex exactly our skill area. So anytime we can get more case studies and learn more about how you specifically are succeeding, then that will help us a lot. So that's announcement two, the Mandarin Blueprint Community Forum. Link is in the show notes as always. Now, for those of you watching the video, you might be wondering, where am I? Well, I'm certainly not in Chengdu, China for the moment. I'm in uh, the Sunshine State. I'm in Florida visiting my sister. And uh, it's not where I'm from, but uh, it's nice to be here and be in the States. Um, my sister recently got married. So if you want to say that in Chinese, you could say, 我姐姐最近结婚了. And so, 最近, that's a great word to use. It's a, 最近 just means the most close is kind of the way you would literally translate that. So 最 means most and 近 means close. So like you could say the house across the street is 很近. It's very close as opposed to 远, which means far away. So 最近 can mean close in literal space or it can mean close in time. And that, that happens a lot in Chinese. You know, you think about the word 在, you know, 我在这儿. I am here, I'm located here. But I'm also 我在录播课. I am currently recording a podcast. So 在 can mean where you're located in either time or space. Well, it's sort of similar with distances. If you say 近, it can mean close in distance, but it can also mean close in time. So if I say 我的姐姐, so my sister, 我的姐姐,最近, recently, 结婚了. So she got married. And so that's something you can use all the time, that 最近 uh, word. Okay, so let's move on to the Q&A. So we're going to start from the pick-a-prop lessons, which uh, pick-a-prop lessons, if you don't know what that is or what props are as a part of the Mandarin Blueprint Method, there is a link to a blog post. We do this every podcast. So if you haven't heard of this before, just go to that link and you'll understand what this part is about. 
And if you aren't interested in you know going and looking at that right now, you can also check the timestamps below in the show notes and just skip ahead beyond the props and actors section to the other relevant material. So first we have the props. Now, the props that came up this week, we had quite a lot. We're getting more and more each week. It's awesome. So first we have Will Henry on character number 74, Shunk. And what he says here is, I decided to use one of those foam hands that you see at sporting events, holding one figure up in the air to make the number one gesture. And, you know, it's funny because a few characters after this were going to make that same suggestion for uh, the character Shull, which means hand. But that's okay, though, because I see why he's picking this for Shang, because it kind of looks like it, and of course you hold it above your head, which is the meaning of Shang. Um, so if you choose that for Shang, then you just want to pick something else for Shull later. So long as your prop is independent and completely different from the other props, you're not going to have a problem. And there's plenty of other things you can associate with hand when you get to show later. As a matter of fact, I recently thought of one, and I did a webinar about it, actually. Um, well, not just about this point, but it was a part of the webinar, which was uh, using the character salad fingers from the internet series. There was like a viral internet series. It was actually over 10 years ago, at least, uh, that it was originally came out. It might even be longer ago than that. So it was a bit before you know YouTube was as popular as it is now. But that one really stuck in my mind because it's such a horrifying character. And remember, horror, terror, fear, while these might not be the most pleasant of emotions, they are very memorable. So don't be afraid to uh, <laughs> don't be afraid to use fear um, to remember something for a long time. Okay, next we have Julian Laffey on character number 325, and this character originally means work, and it kind of looks like an I-beam from the side. Um, but Julian says, I had trouble fitting an I-beam into subsequent movies. I instead went with a dumbbell or barbell, which is also connected to work. And I agree. Like, if you were going to look at an I-beam, that's maybe not the easiest thing to imagine, you know, doing something with, because unless you're a construction worker, you probably don't use I-beams all the time. But if you're somebody who goes to the gym, which is a lot more people, then you probably use dumbbells, you probably use barbells. And so they can more easily be used in, in the interaction, and the connection to the idea of work is quite clear. So, sure, that sounds fine. Next, we have Marilia Nestor, I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly, on on Pick a Prop for three, for San, and she picked the Wolverine blades, totally, and that's, they look like it, right? So you got those three blades coming out, and it looks like the character San, so perfectly fine there. Next, we have Chad on... The character 187, and this character originally means can, like I can do it, right? Or you can do it, which is what Rob Schneider's character said in the movie The Water Boy, and uh, I love it. That's great, because as soon as I read that, I was like, oh yeah, I've seen that movie. That was a funny moment to me, especially as a kid, and so, and it eventually becomes an innuendo later in the movie, so that's a perfect type of connection, especially for something like can, which is... You know, sure, you can do the uh, homophone and imagine like a can of soup, but what it means is can is in able to, right? And that is just an abstract thing to say. So if you can associate it with a character, then like like Rob Schneider's uh, character in The Water Boy, that's perfect. All right. Next, we have uh, William Edmeans on character number 20, R, which is the character for. Uh, son or child, and in the pick a prop section, he says a kangaroo's tail and legs 
from the side view. And I can see that, right, because a kangaroo is only going to be jumping around on two legs, and then you can see the tail coming out from the back. So I can imagine that. Yeah, sure. And that's the type of thing you can do. If you can imagine how the character looks being your prop, that's perfectly fine. All right, next we have William again on Schwe, which is the uh, character for tongue. So if you're going to pick a prop for tongue, now tongue is easy because it's already visual, but because everybody has a tongue, you need to try to pick something that's a little bit more, uh, that stands out a bit more. So you could make your actor's tongue super long, or you could make uh, your actor have a snake tongue, because it's a pretty iconic tongue. What he chose was the Pokemon Lickitung, which uh, I wasn't, you know, a huge Pokemon fan as a kid, but I um, am, you know, aware of the idea of it. And sure, if you can pick a Pokemon, I mean, I bet anybody who played Pokemon as a kid or watched the TV show, you have loads of options for uh, potential props because I'm sure that each one had a feature to them. Like, I remember all my friends talked about Charizard when I was a kid because apparently it was really, if you had Charizard, you always won the game. And that was like a dragon that was had fire. Uh, so, you know, maybe you could have Charizard be your representation of the character Huo, which means fire in Chinese. All right, so that's your props. Let's move on to the um, next section. It looks like this week we didn't have any... Oh, no, we did have some actors, so let's take a look at here. We have uh, on the casting call for G, uh, Marilia says, High School Musical's Gabriella. Uh, couldn't think about anyone else that easily. Now, this is technically a little bit off, but it's okay if it works because, well, actually, this is probably not so good of a choice because Gabriella is not only a fictional character, but it's also female. And we want the G to be a male if possible because that's the distinction you can make quickly. Like if you see somebody and you know that's a male or that's a female, that can allow you to know, okay, if it's a male, it doesn't have the E sound in it. If it's a female, it does. So the thing is, though, the female side of things doesn't have any uh, G sound, so it could work. But the other issue is that it's the G is also supposed to be a real person, not a fictional character. So if this isn't that easy to do, you could stick with uh, Gabriella if you haven't picked up on any other particular... You can't think of anybody else, but... Still, though, just be aware that it should be a real person that's male if you have just a consonant by itself. Um, now, next, Marilia again chose uh, a fictional character to represent B. So the casting call here was for B, and you know we recommend Brad Pitt or Bill Murray. These are real people. Uh, she chose Beetlejuice, which is a great fictional character, and he's very good, as she said, very good for special effects. But the thing is, later you can pick him to be your representation of be you. So the uh, when you have actors, you want to make sure that the ooh sound is always a fictional character. So if it's Beetlejuice, you know the, the pronunciation of the character starts with boo. And then if it was Garfield, the cat, it starts with goo. And if it was um, Harry Potter, it starts with who, right? And so I would recommend switching Beetlejuice to be your representation of B-U, and then pick a real person like Brad Pitt to be your representation of B. Okay, next on character seven, the casting call for R. Uh, Linnea, I hope I'm, I hope it's Linnea, not Linnea or something. Well, you can, you can correct me if I'm wrong, Linnea or Linnea. <laughs> um, I'll say Linnea for now. Now, Linnea says that she picked her dad, Rick, because of course it's picking an actor for R. Now, 
your dad, Rick, is totally going to work, Linnea. Um, but bear in mind that parents can sometimes be a, somewhat restrictive because you can remember things that your parents are doing really easily, but because you have such an, a close relationship with your parents... If you, if you have somebody in your scene who you are not particularly close with, then say something violent happens, right? It's not really going to traumatize you. But there was actually a memory athlete who was very, very successful uh, using his mother as a memory device. But he said, I had to stop using her because I, was st- I stopped being able to sleep. And it was because one of the things you want to do to make scenes more memorable is, you know, you can use violent scenes, you can use sexual scenes, like there's all sorts of stuff you can do that are very memorable. I mean, there's a reason why Game of Thrones is so popular, right? Um, but if it's your parents, that's like too much a lot of times. So bear that in mind. Now you can still use your dad if you want, but just bear that in mind that sometimes it can be a little bit uh, difficult to have somebody here that close to be a part of your, you know, memory, uh, your your acting cast, shall we say. Okay, so Chad, last one here. Chad picked yet another Chinese actor, Nia uh, Yuan, for the casting call for N, which is character number 194, and Nate is the first time this comes up. Chinese actor, I liked his character in Brotherhood of Blades. Sure, totally, that's fine. And so, as we know, Chad is a big fan of the martial arts. All right, so now moving on beyond the casting calls and the props, let's talk about some other questions. So this question comes from Linnea on character number five, Gan. And first of all, Linnea came in with a lot of great questions right off the bat, and I love that attitude. Like, as soon as she signed up for the course, she was leaving comments, leaving questions, and it's great. Now, this comment comes from the uh, scene for uh, set the scene lesson for Gan. So she's picking a place to represent her... Uh, any character that ends in A-N. Now, she says, my set for A-N is somewhere with lots of sand. And I did talk to Linnea about this, but um, you don't want to just pick any place with lots of sand. You want to pick a specific place with lots of sand and a specific place that has different rooms. Now, could be a beach house, could be somewhere else that you've been that has lots of sand. You know, for me, I might pick my sister's house just because she's the closest... um, person to the beach of anybody in my family, so maybe I pick her house because it's a good connection. The idea of sand and an, that's a good connection, but you need to make sure that you don't make it, you know, it seems like at, at first, anyway, I think she gets it now, but at first, Linnea was a bit confused about the idea of, it's not just sand in and of itself. Sand is kind of closer to being like a prop. You want it to be a location to represent the pinion finals. Okay, so... Next, we have Marilia on character number 14, Ko. She says, in the sets Anki deck, is it better to put the sets or the finals as the question, as in the front of the cards? Well, first of all, all the Anki cards are what are called a reversible card, which means that whatever you see on the front, you know, so if the front says A-N, the back would say, my apartment close to the sand, you know? And then you'll also see another card that says, my apartment close to the sand on the front and the back will say AN. So don't change the pinion final when you're in browse, changing the card. Uh, just change the set itself. So change the set to whatever you choose. So if Linnea chose uh, the beach house because it was near the sand, then she would write that in and the one side of the card would say AN and the other side of the card would say my beach house near the sand. And then you'll see both. One time you'll see AN, the other time you'll see uh, my beach house in the sand in the front. 
Okay, now, Linnea again on character number seven, Jen, for the set the scene there for E-N, and she said, my oven. So once again, it's kind of like the oven would be a better prop because it's an object. But she got it, she figured it out, and she, you know, so then she chose a place that had uh, a lot of ovens or either her favorite oven. I can't remember at the moment, but basically she ended up choosing a place that she, I think it was a restaurant maybe that she worked that has ovens in it. And that way, the E-N connection comes from oven, and then that's the, the link to get you to the place that has the oven. It's the place that you finally want to pick in the end. Next, uh, for the set the scene for O-N-G, she thought, okay, my connection to the O-N-G sound is going to be the word song. Song reminds me of piano, and piano will remind her of a church, because there would be lots of songs, uh, sol- uh, songs and pianos in the church, so... She picked the church to be the representation of ONG. Now, Linnea again on character number nine, Gu, set the scene here. And so here she went with exercise being her connection to the letter E, E, exercise. And so she cho- chose the gym. Easy enough. And so she, it's it's kind of cool. Like when you see something like that, you realize, okay, you had a little bit of a misconception about it, but then you just go a few more lessons in and then you got it. So uh, that's how the Mandarin Blue Room Method works. It's a little bit confusing at the beginning sometimes, but it doesn't take long. It doesn't take long. We just did a case study with Ryan Smith and he said it was about uh, 10 to 15 characters before he sort of understood how the method worked. So it's pretty quick. Oh, this is a great question from Marilia on the make a movie for Ben. She said, in this case, is there a difference between choosing the props of horns, razor blade, and crucifix, and choosing horns, stick, and twins? So basically, she's just pointing out that there's two different ways that you could separate the props in this character. And the answer is that there's not really a difference. You should just choose the one that is easier for you to imagine. So... The horns are consistent, so both of them have horns at the top. So if you look at the character Ben, uh, then it's either in the show notes or if you're watching the video, it should be on screen right now. If you look at this character, the horns are always at the top, but you could imagine those center two horizontal lines as being the prop for um, twins, which is, you know, R, the number two, and so we recommend twins or some other pair of things. And then that leaves only a vertical line remaining, which would be the stick or Gandalf staff or whatever you chose to be stick. Now, we recommended in the course that it was instead of that, it was the crucifix, which is a horizontal line and a vertical line, just a little plus sign, basically, which would leave a horizontal line remaining, which is a razor blade. But really, either one is okay. Whichever one you find easier to make the scene, go with that. Next, we have Linea and character number five, Gan, the make a movie lesson. So this is her coming up with her first scene. So she says, I'm outside my childhood home. Now, first of all, and then we we clarified this with her, she shouldn't actually be outside her childhood home because Gan does have a final. It has the A-N final. The childhood home is reserved for those pronunciations that do not have a final. So she understands that now. So we'll just imagine she's outside her uh, A-N set. And the landscape has been decimated by drought. So good, she's got the idea of dry right away, because gan means dry. There is sand everywhere. Garfield the cat is my personal companion. Now, once again, Garfield is a fictional character. She should probably pick somebody who's a real person, but still, you know, it's not so bad. Suddenly, ten vampires appear, and I hold up the crucifix. The, le- the lead vampire hisses and flings a sword towards me, which embeds itself in my giant crucifix. 
But the crucifix emits a shining light and the vampires crumble into dry dust. So I like the use of dust. She uses Garfield, uh, which is the representation of G. She uses the sword, which is the representation of the top stroke. And the crucifix is the bottom uh, component. So that's all good. The problem is the vampires. The vampires don't represent anything in this particular scene. Now, you could say that they represent the idea of dry or maybe they relate to the crucifix because you put up a crucifix to like you know repel vampires but the problem is that they're too distinct and it may be easy to forget why they were there like six months from now when you're reviewing this card uh you'll go what were the vampires there what were the vampires representing and the answer is kind of they weren't really representing anything uh specifically because dry was already dealt with by the fact that there was a drought and so you would want to come up with something that is a little bit um, you don't want to introduce foreign props. You don't want to introduce a, a prop that has nothing to do specifically with the scene. You want to go, okay, I've got my set, and the set does have natural things around it. Like if I imagine that this is a room in my set where I am right now, you know, the fact that there's a fan on the ceiling and there's a TV in the room, that's okay because that's that comes with the set. But if I'm having any other props added to the scene... It needs to only be the props that are coming from the character. Otherwise, you'll confuse yourself later. Um, so just make sure that you don't introduce foreign props. Pretty key point. I'm sure she'll get it as she moves along. All right, next. She does another scene that she submits for the make a movie for Ben. She says, I'm in a desolated, dry backyard with lots of sand. Suddenly, a devilish mummy with, a lar- with large spiky horns appears. Brendan Fraser uh, rushes in with a crucifix and a sword and slashes the devil mummy in half. Now, once again, this is a little bit of a tricky one in the sense that if the mummy with horns is going to be your representation of horns forever, then this is okay. Although, really, the horns should just be horns by themselves. They shouldn't be horns on a thing unless they're going to be horns on your actor. You could have it be on your actor because your actor's there. Brendan Fraser represents B. Sure, that's fine. You're in the backyard or, yeah, dry backyard and um, of the AN set. That's fine. The sword and the uh, the um, crucifix are both fine. They're, they're used properly. So, the the mummy having horns again it might confuse you in the future is the mummy represent representing something now you could say that no my representation of horns is the mummy always but you might want to use a mummy later for something else so i would recommend trying to find a way to get the horns just independent they're just separate horns they're not specifically attached to anything Especially something not as interesting as a, mu- a mummy, because a mummy could be used later in, maybe it's used for wrap, because it's wrapped in, you know, uh, all of the various, uh, I mean, the, the, at least the cartoonish mummy is always wrapped in, like, that toilet paper looking stuff. Uh, Alright, still though, just to be clear, and I told Linnea this in the course, she's doing a great job of coming up with creative ideas here, so it's perfectly fine, you just want to try to fit the creative ideas within the constraints of your actor set and props. So your actor set and props constrain you a bit, but they also uh, help you come up with a quick idea. Because remember, you can keep it simple. It's always it's always key to just keep it simple. I know which room I'm in because we're very good at 3D spatial imaging. We're good at object rep- rep- uh, object recognition, so we can see an object and go, "That's a 
crucifix, that's horns, that's whatever. And then we're very good at facial recognition. So there's that person, and they represent the pinion with the set. And then, of course, the props represent the objects. And then all you got to do is make them interact in some way to represent the meaning. And, you know, it seems complicated, but it's not. It's not. It, it, it's only complicated in the beginning, and then very quickly you go, oh, okay, bing, bang, boom, got it, what's my idea? And then, you know, as Sydney was saying in this case study the other day, sometimes it only takes half a minute, half a minute to a minute. All right. Next, we have Jay West on character number 127, which is, so this is, I don't really know how this happened because I thought I fixed this, but uh, for some reason it was off again. So the character is tool, which means to spit. And it's got the left side component of a mouth. And, but it can also be pronounced tool, which means to vomit. And so like, you know, it's conceptually quite different, but he said, you mean spit tool, not vomit tool, right? Because we had actually put spit as the keyword, but with the pronunciation of fourth tone, which means vomit. So that was our mistake. Um, it's not that we didn't know that. I think it's just, I don't know. We just must've made a clerical, clerical error. Anyway, the thing is though, there's an interesting thing you can do with this character because tool will be your TU fictional actor in the bedroom of your childhood home. And Tool will be your TU fictional actor in the bathroom of your childhood home. So let's suppose that you had uh, Tom from Tom and Jerry, uh, you know, the cat, Tom the cat from Tom and Jerry, walking around your bedroom, and he was just uh, spitting all over the place for whatever reason. And then suddenly he has to vomit, so he runs to the bathroom, which is what you would do if you had to vomit, and, you know, goes, uh, and you can imagine that. Imagine the vomiting. Now, uh, that it happens to work because it's a two pronunciation character, but because it happens in the same set and it also happens that the meaning of the second one takes place in the bathroom, it works perfectly well. And normally we don't tell you to learn two meanings in one visualization, but in this case, it's actually quite simple to do. So it's not too much of a problem. All right. Next, we have William Edmeads on character number 36, Kwong, which means situation. He says, this one's a good one. So in my grandma's house, my older brother, actor, is having a nice, relaxing bubble bath. So the older brother refers to the right side component of this character. When all of a sudden Kramer bursts into the room, and um, Kramer represents KU, so Kramer from Seinfeld. So he's a fictional character, so he represents cool. And his grandma's house, I don't know why his grandma's house relates to A-N-G, but his grandma's house must be the relation to uh, A-N-G. Okay, so Kramer in the grandmother's house bathroom with the older brother, uh, and he's hold so Kramer bursts into the room holding an icicle in his hand. So that, of course, is, uh, you know, the, the final prop, that's the left side prop there. Needless to say, there was a lot of shock and confusion in that situation. And uh, so this is definitely a funny scene for William. And the only thing I would say to make clear is to make sure the facial expressions are super clear because situations are kind of constantly happening. It's a very useful uh, term. You know, I was watching an oversimplified World War II video the other day, and when he said the word situation, he had a picture. Uh, I've never watched Jersey Shore, but just it was one of those cultural tropes that kind of made it to the point where 
he showed a picture of the guy who guess I guess he called himself the situation on the show Jersey Shore, and so he just showed a quick picture of that guy, and I thought, well, that's a perfect mnemonic type of thing to do because this guy called himself the situation, and of course, a person is visual. Um, so, but if you haven't seen Jersey Shore, I mean, I don't, I haven't seen Jersey Shore, but I just, I don't know. It's like somebody who hasn't seen Star Wars that picked up on who Darth Vader is, like, just for some reason that guy made it into my purview. He must've been on some YouTube videos or something that I've seen. Um, anyway, just with this one, William, just make sure that it's very clear that, I don't know, the reaction of people's faces is very much like Kramer. What are you doing here? What's the situation? And there must be something now, of course, Kramer had that iconic sort of bursting into the room thing that he would do in Seinfeld. So, you know, um, it may be fine. It may be fine. It's just, I worry that it's a bit too broad because, you know, almost anything could be assigned as a situation. So you just want to make sure that the facial expressions are really clear. But the fact that you liked this so much and you laughed means you'll probably will remember it. Okay. Next, we have Linnea on the make a movie for Jen. So the character for person. She says, Rick, her dad, who's the representation of R, slowly enters the kitchen because second tone. Uh, the lights are flickering and all is quiet. He holds his scimitar aloft. So this must be, she must have chosen instead of a samurai sword, a scimitar. Ready to strike. He is hunting the fierce human-eating bananas. <laughs> he sees the banana bunch sitting quietly on the oven, pretending to be normal bananas. They jump to life, but Rick slashes with the scimitar, spraying bits of banana all over the kitchen. The human race has been saved. So, uh... Yeah, so this is this is good. This is probably going to be memorable. I worry that it's not going to be clear enough that they're human eating bananas. Like, you know, why is it that they're human eating bananas that sticks out necessarily? But I think the way that you could easily do that is you could just imagine that there's a banana that like walks past a couple of other things that are in the room that it might want to eat. And then it doesn't, but then it sees a human and it goes after it. And then it's like, okay, well, it's a human-eating banana at that point. That's one option. And, of course, the human race has been saved. That one is, I think, the one you could go with. Because that idea, I mean, like, gosh, there was Independence Day when the human race was facing uh, alien extinction. There's all these ideas of everybody cheering. Uh, the movie Armageddon had that when they destroy the meteor. It's like, oh, the human race is saved. That idea, I think, will be clear enough. Um and so, good job there with the uh, connection. All right. Next, on the character Tong for Make a Movie, Christian Bale sits down at my piano to sing a beautiful song. So that's the O-N-G, and Christian Bale is the uh, C. Suddenly, it begins to rain, and he opens two umbrellas. He wonders where the rain is coming from. Now, I think that that's fine, because from is an abstract concept, and... Why would rain be inside? Why would it be indoors in the kitchen of your, uh, in this case, it would be the church because she chose uh, to do the uh, ONG set in her church. Now, that's a reasonable enough thing to happen. And of course, umbrellas come, they associate with the rain and his quizzical look of where did the rain come from? I think that's good enough because with things like abstract concepts like from, you kind of have to rely more on the special effects and the facial uh, recognition and the facial sort of expressions so that one should work totally well all right next we have character number nine which is good make a movie and this character means individual so gary Busey, i like i like starting with gary Busey. that's awesome gary Busey is trying to protect himself from a gang of hungry people wielding staves and umbrellas 
So staves and umbrellas are the two components. He flees into a local gym and finds refuge in the bathroom. <laughs> yeah, right, because she chose the gym to be the representation of eat. He's able to lock the door since it is an individual bathroom. And uh, I think that that's fine because there's definitely a distinction between public toilets that have many stalls and, and urinals and all that. Did I just say urinals like a British person? I've been hanging out with too many British people. Um, anyway, so um, he uh, that, that distinction is clear enough. So you have an individual bathroom and you have a public bathroom with lots of people in it. So that's perfectly clear. Next on the make a movie for Zhu. Ross, I assume from Friends, Ross from Friends, is hiding in my childhood home because, of course, Ru has that ooh again, so he's going to have a fictional character, and there's no final here. So if, if Ross is the representation of R-U and the whole pronunciation is R-U, that means that there's n no final, which means that it takes place in your childhood home. Now, if it was Ruin, that would be different because then it would have the E-N final, but it's just Ru. So, okay, let's go on, go on from here. And rule means to enter. Ross is hiding in my childhood home from the man eating bananas. <laughs> nice, because that's the uh, prop there. He is very nervous and has to use the bathroom. Right, because the bathroom's fourth tone. While he is sitting on the toilet, the giant banana enters and Ross slashes the banana with his trusty scimitar. And I said to um, Linnea on this one, this is perfectly fine. Entering is happening, but people enter rooms all the time. So you need to make sure that there's some slow motion and that the banana is really making an entrance. You know, there's something about it. There's maybe some theme music. There's a sudden fanfare, perhaps. There's something about the entrance that is really sticking out, but as long as that's there, everything else about the scene is perfectly, uh, perfectly good. All right. Next, William Edmeads, his make a movie for Shua, uh, which is the character for Tongue. Sean Connery in the Rolling Stones' mouth in the kitchen of my E set. Perfect. So that sets you, sets you up, and now we go to the actual things happening. Sean drops the Acme one-ton weight on the Rolling Stones' mouth, which causes its long tongue to hang out, and other cartoonish stuff like the raised bump forming and the dizzy birds flying around it. Great. Quick, simple, to the point. The one-ton weight is the representation of 1,000 on top of the uh, character. And, of course, you know, one-ton, 1,000, uh, what is that, 1,000 kilograms. And then uh, you've got the Rolling Stones mouth representing the mouth at the bottom of this character. And just quick, to the point. One-ton weight drops on the mouth. The tongue comes out. Add a few special effects. Easy. Done. Quick. And it's Sean Connery, of course, it does it as well. Next, we have Abigail asking a question on character number 68, which is guo. Now, uh, this is the new, ver new vocabulary unlocked lesson that is for guo zhizi. Now, technically, this is not a word. It's a phrase, but it's such a common phrase, and it's so important that we thought it's important to you know put it in there. Guo zhizi means to like live life or experience the days of your life. It's just sort of, oh, you know, how does he live his life? Um, and, you know, that's that's something that's pretty important when it comes to how you're going to communicate with people about that simple concept of how do you live. And so we put it in as a phrase. But because it's a phrase, it therefore could be put into different grammatical structures. So Abigail says, why does the order of characters sometimes change? For example, 日子过得怎么样? Or 过日子? Does it affect the meaning? Well, no more than grammar affects any other meaning. So, 日子过得怎么样 is a way of asking how have things been going lately? How have your days been going? Right? Uh, you know, how's life? It's kind of like saying that. It's another way of saying 
你最近怎么样 ？So 怎么样 just means like how about it? What about it? How has it been? Right? And you always start at the end of a sentence if you want to ask that type of question. And if you say to somebody, 你最近怎么样？ Which I talked earlier in the podcast about. 最近 that means recently. So you recently, how about it? And it's just basically saying how you've been recently. 你最近怎么样 You can also say 日子 There's your topic. 日子 the days of your life. 过得怎么样 So 过得怎么样 is like you could put anything before 过得怎么样 and you're saying how did that thing go? So 日子过得怎么样 is like、uh, how are your days going? But I could have said.、Um, For example,、uh, I could say, 篮球比赛过得怎么样 The basketball competition. How did it go? Right. So you put you put the topic first. You know,、um, 划船你今天划船过得怎么样 So 划船 is to、um, go on a boat, <laughs> like literally paddle a boat. I went kayaking the other day, so that's why I thought of that.、Um, you know. So how was it? Going kayaking.、Um, I'm sure that there's probably a more specific word for kayaking, but certainly kwachuan is the、uh, way to say、uh, paddling a boat. Now,、um, that's why that will change sometimes because technically it's a phrase, but it's an important grammatical structure there. The idea of guoda zema yang, and then whatever you put before it, you're just saying how did that thing go? So rizu guoda zema yang. How did how the days go? Lanchou bi sai guoda zema yang. How was the basketball competition? 划船过得怎么样 How was the paddling the boat or sailing the boat or you know kayaking or whatever? All right. Next we have. I don't know if I'm pronouncing this name right.、It's、L a u e n t. Maybe that's a、uh, maybe that's a French name, but I don't know how to do French pronunciation. Launt. I'm sure that you don't say the t. Anyway. This guy、um, or gal said、uh, on bonus how to find and fix pronunciation problems. Said, "Does why Chinese still exist seems not available now." And I discovered this is true. I, we've suggested why Chinese to people before, and what they'll do is they'll listen to your pronunciation,、uh, recording of your pronunciation, and give you some tips on it. And turns out that it actually has already. Uh, I don't know if it's gone under or what happened, or maybe it got merged with another company, but it's not there anymore.、Uh, but there is one now called Speechling,、um, and Speechling does the same thing, and apparently、uh, it does it even better. So、uh, you can check that out if you just Google Speechling.、Um, that's、uh, an even better one than Why Chinese was. Makai Albert on nasal final one, one, one T and. Guan. So he says、um, definitions of the words here are different from those in the PDFs. Fixed it. We always appreciate those those types of、um, uh, corrections because you know sometimes we'll make mistakes,、uh, and whenever we do, it's like okay, well, we want to make sure that we fix those up as soon as possible. So we always appreciate corrections like that. We have fixed it, and、uh, so you can go check that out,、uh, Makai. Okay. Last one for today comes from the email. So Chris says, "Hey Luke, he must have been talking to Luke earlier. So, hey Luke, how are you doing? I'm about halfway through the pronunciation course now, and also finished the free trial of the Mandarin Blueprint method. The pronunciation course has been outstanding. It helped me correct a lot of the mistakes I was making, and because of that, I decided to take the plunge. I signed up for the course、uh, biannual, even though I have had been studying traditional characters. And of course, the Mandarin Blueprint method、uh, covers simplified characters because simplified characters is what they use in the mainland, which means that the 
vast, vast majority of Chinese speakers use simplified characters. Um, where they use traditional characters are is Taiwan, Hong Kong. They also use traditional characters in other places outside of mainland China. Like in Malaysia, you'll see traditional characters. But in terms of population, the amount of people who use simplified characters is way, way higher um, by many, many or orders of magnitude. So he says here... Um, Right, he says, anyway, I'm several characters in, trying to get comfortable with the method. I had been studying for just over a year, and I'm quite comfortable reading the level two books of Mandarin Companion now. Still, though, sometimes my memory for characters could be better, and I always forget what tones actually are, uh, what, what tones the characters actually are. Hoping this method will help me remember tones better. It absolutely will, Chris. There's no doubt about it in my mind. It's just so easy. It's like, I'm in the bedroom, third tone. I'm in the bathroom, fourth tone. Like, tones are the thing that everybody says, oh yeah, never forget the tones of the characters because of this method. So don't even worry about that. You'll be fine. Now, let's see here. His question is, perhaps you guys could talk about what's the best way for students who have been studying Chinese for a while now to take advantage of the course. Anyway, really enjoying the course so far. Thank you for all your hard work, and I'm excited to see how this will grow in the coming years. Well, thank you very much, Chris. And the answer to your question is actually, it's a pretty important one to take into account because the Mandarin Blueprint Method can totally help intermediate learners. Um, and eventually, it'll be able to help advanced learners too. It's just that, you know, we need to keep expanding the order of the characters. But here's how you use it. So if you're already... A somewhat advanced or at least you have an intermediate level there are some characters that you are going to know and you're going to know everything about them but that's the first question you ask yourself do i know everything about this character do i know how to write it do i know what it means and do i have it in the correct pronunciation uh, including the tone and if the answer is no to any of those questions do a scene do a Hansa movie method scene because it's worth it. There are no characters in the top 600 that are not essential and used all the time. So that means that you need to know it inside and out. So, you know, be a little bit tough on yourself with it. Be like, oh, sorry, I don't know the tone of this one. I'm not sure if it's third or second tone. Then do a whole scene with it. Seriously, like it's worth it. And again, once you get how to do the scenes, it's not going to take you very long. It'll take you 30 seconds to a minute. Now, that's step one. Step two is... If you do know everything about a character, so if the answer to question one is yes, I do know everything about this character, then step two is to figure out, okay, in this character, was there a casting call, was there a set the scene, or was there a pick a prop lesson? And if there was, you still need to pick an actor, pick a set, or pick a prop. Now, that's all you have to do. You don't have to make a movie. You know, we have the make a movie lessons, which are meant to get your actor set and props together and combined to form the meaning. You do not need to do that, but anytime there is a pick a prop, anytime there is an actor, or anytime there is a set, you must pick it because otherwise you're missing an ingredient of the toolbox called the hands of the movie method. So that's the best way to use it. And then when you get to later stuff, like for example, the vocabulary and grammar acquisition materials, that's where you want to, you can maybe be a little bit more um, discerning about which words you want to make a flashcard for. You can just suspend flashcards you don't want to do. If you feel like a grammar structure is already super clear to you, you can skip those. But just, you know, again, if you aren't totally sure, then do it. And if you, you can say to yourself, I am totally sure, then with vocabulary cards or sentence cards, you can just suspend them and not use them at all. Um, but if it is a 
character learning situation, you want to make sure that you don't skip picking any actors, sets, or props because they are essential for the system to work. They're like the ingredients in your toolbox. So if you skip one, then you're going to be missing something later. So that's how you handle the course if you're an intermediate learner. And uh, I'd like to hear more about how that's going for you, Chris. So please let us know. That's all for today's podcast. Remember, you can go to mandrewbluebird.com to check out our blog, podcast, webinars, ebooks, all that stuff, all that free stuff. Uh, as a reminder, the pronunciation mastery course will be free until June 1st. So make sure that if you haven't signed up for it, sign up for it before June 1st, 2019, so that you get grandfathered in and remain getting it for free because starting on June 1st, we're going to make it a part of the Mandarin Blueprint method, which is, of course, the subscription service. So it will no longer technically be free. It won't be that expensive because we're not going to raise the price of the Mandarin Blueprint method. We're just going to move it over to that. But nonetheless, though, if you get it before June 1st, it will be free for you forever. So um, just make sure that you take note of that. We have the new community forum that is in the show notes. And as always, if you would like to share this YouTube video, share the podcast or any of our blog posts, uh, we always really appreciate it. It helps us tremendously. So thank you very much. And Luke, we'll see you here next week. Mm -hmm.